So earlier this week, I was doing the dishes after dinner, and my son came into the room and said, uh, thank you, Dad, for doing the dishes. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm getting thanked for doing the dishes. This is amazing. Why is this happening? Who put my son up to this? So then I said, uh, oh, wow, this is so great. Uh, what prompted you to do this? Why did you thank me for doing the dishes? And then he said, well, you know, we're supposed to say thank you a hundred times every day. And I thought, oh, wow, that's a lot of thank yous. Uh, who told you that? And then he said, as best I understood, he said that he had learned this from one of the children's ministry videos that he is watching. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. And then he started to talk about how he is so thankful for so many things. And he started listing all these things that he was thankful for. And then he said, I'm thankful even for the whole universe. And then he said, I'm even thankful for tornadoes. And I thought, oh, my son is so spiritual. He even knows how to give thanks in all circumstances, even the difficult ones of great suffering. And I kind of laughed about this, and I was very grateful that he took so seriously this call to give thanks, that he was trying to give thanks a hundred times in a day. And as I reflected on this, I thought, well, this is the week of Thanksgiving that we're going into, and so this is a good time for us to consider why we can and should be thankful. It's, it feels especially relevant to the sermon series that we're in. This is our last week of this sermon series, The Kingdom of God is in Our Midst. And throughout this sermon, uh, this sermon series, we've been considering what this means, that the Kingdom of God is in our midst. That Jesus invites us to dwell in the Kingdom of God, enter and receive this mysterious Kingdom that is near to us, even when it feels like the world is falling apart because we have a pandemic and a crazy election and so many other crazy things happening in our world. And so if we're doing this, if we're able to enter and receive the kingdom of God that Jesus says is in our midst, it feels very appropriate that one of the things that we would do is be grateful. We're grateful that we're, we're entering into this mysterious kingdom of God that is in our midst. In fact, this simple act of being grateful seems to be really at the heart of this tension of Jesus saying, hey, the kingdom of God, it's in our midst. Because oftentimes, my reluctance to give thanks is rooted in the fact that it feels like there's a lot going wrong with this world. It doesn't feel like the kingdom of God is in our midst. I'm, I'm much more aware of all the things that are going wrong with my, wife, with my life, then I am aware of the things that I want to be grateful for. There are things wrong with this world, and it seems to me that the circumstances we find ourselves in often warrant complaining and crying out to God to do something or fix something. Not so much thanksgiving. Now, some of you may be especially tuned into this reality given our current political landscape maybe feeling a lot of anxiety as it feels elections over, but things still feel unresolved and uncertain about who's going to be president in January. 
And so this doesn't feel like a time to say, thank you, God. It seems like a time fraught with worry and concern. Wondering about what's going to happen to our democracy. Others of you, maybe you are a young high school athlete or you are a parent of a young high school athlete. And, and you've just heard from Governor Waltz that your fall sports season got cut short. Or maybe your winter sports season got delayed. You're probably feeling a, a host of emotions. Maybe you're disappointed or frustrated or maybe even a little bit angry. This is happening and it feels unfair to you. This then probably doesn't feel like a good time to be giving thanks. The, the sort of circumstances in which you want to give thanks. You see the things that are wrong with the world, the things that God's kingdom needs to enter into and fix or redeem, but certainly not the sort of circumstances in which you want to be giving thanks. Others of you, you may be feeling this deep sense of loss because you're not going to see family over Thanksgiving. Most years, Thanksgiving is a time of thanksgiving. You feel tremendous gratitude as you, you sit around a table with your family members that you don't get to see that often and share a meal together. And as you think back on years past being able to do this, you think, oh, those are great times. But this year, that's not happening. So of all the Thanksgiving holidays, this may be one you're least inclined to be grateful for. It says nothing of the financial hardships some of you are facing, marital stress, academic struggles with online learning. And the question we have to wonder about amidst all these circumstances, how can you and I Give thanks now. But it's precisely this tension that always exists when we consider the practice of giving thanks or, or practicing thanksgiving. Whenever we consider this exhortation that Paul makes to us to give thanks in all circumstances, we immediately think of our circumstances and how we are certain that they, they should be or could be improved with God's intervention. If God's kingdom were to come to this world, they would get better. So we don't want to give thanks. We want to complain to God and get him to do something. We're not thankful for the way things are. We want to fix the way things are. I think this thing really needs to happen or, or this thing needs to change. God needs to fix this part of our broken world. Then the kingdom comes in its power and its glory and its goodness. But this tension is what this whole sermon series has been about. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is already in your midst. This is the point that Jesus is making. The arrival of God's kingdom is not essentially rooted in circumstances. It's rooted in Him, in nearness to Him. It's God's presence that is definitional for what the kingdom of God is. 
Well, listen again. I want to read the orienting verse of this whole sermon series to just remind us how radical of a statement this is. Luke 17, 20 and 21. One son being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is. There it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or other translations say, the kingdom of God is within you. We struggle to give thanks because like the Pharisees, we're looking for the external circumstances that can be observed that warrant thanksgiving. We want to say, here it is, the thing I own for which I am grateful. Or we want to say, there it is, the thing that I accomplished for which I have gratitude. But Jesus is inviting us to see the world differently not in things that can be observed in circumstances and external events, but he's inviting you and me to see the kingdom of God that is already in our midst and then give thanks for that. And this is the point that Paul is making in the passage that Chris read for us. In the broader context, what he's trying to do is, is shift the focus of the believers in Thessalonica, from external events and circumstances to what God is doing. See, they, had kinda, they were kind of doing what the Pharisees were doing when that Jesus conversation in Luke 17. They were primarily looking for the coming of God's kingdom in external events that can, could be observed. They wanted to see God's kingdom come in tangible form. So, quick history on Paul's relationship in Thessalonica. So he had gone through there on a missionary journal, journey, but his stay was cut short because some Jewish leaders in the area found what he was preaching offensive. There are certain people who became believers and started this church, but then not long after that, the Jewish leaders got really angry and they ended up starting a riot in the city over what Paul is teaching. And the believers there had to sneak Paul out of the city. And then he goes to Berea, and so he starts doing a missionary journey, takes him to Berea, starts uh, talking to people there. And the people in Thessalonica are still so angry with him that they track him down in Berea and and cause trouble for him there as well. And so the believers in Thessalonica, they had heard Paul's preaching that Jesus had been this prophet who had been crucified and then he was raised from the dead. And, And Paul is then saying Jesus' resurrection is a foretaste of our personal, future resurrection. But it's almost like because of this riot and him being driven out of the area, like he was there for too short a time. And so he had a very short amount of time to explain things. And they took this little information they had about resurrection and then didn't fully understand what it meant. And so when Paul writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, that we have, he's kind of clarifying some of that stuff. And we know that he's doing this because it's what, what we can see in this letter is that some of these believers that he's writing to in 1 Thessalonians, they had gotten it in their head like, oh, there's this resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead and then we're going to be raised from the dead. And that resurrection of us 
and this transformation of the world, that's happening really, really soon. So they were quitting their jobs and they were disengaging from the world. They had this mentality like, oh, well, the kingdom of God is coming very soon. And so we kind of just disengaged and, and, and just idly wait for the next world to come. And so Paul is writing to them in part to correct this false belief. But he's also trying to reorient and resituate them in this world. He's essentially doing what Jesus was doing for the Pharisees. He's trying to say to them, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. God's kingdom is breaking into our world now. It's not something we just wait to happen in the future like there's nothing now. We just wait for the future. But it's already breaking in and you can start to live in it now. And I want to read... Uh, just a little bit of the broader context, because when we get this verse that Chris read for us, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to see, like, in the context, what Paul is doing is he's trying to root them in this world. It's not despite the circumstances he's particularly emphasizing in this world, the way it is now. We're giving thanks for all things. So I'm going to read the first 11 verses from chapter 5. Our verses were chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, and I want to read the first 11 verses so we get the sense for some of the confusion that's going on around God's, Jesus' return. This is 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether awake or asleep, we may live together with him, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. And then the next few verses, 12 through 15, he gives some practical advice, which basically is just like care for those who encourage you, love the weak, serve each other, don't be idle. So just really practical advice about how to be in the world. And then we get our verse, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is making the same point that Jesus is making. He's wanting to root people in this world and invite them to figure out how they can enter and receive God's kingdom now. It's not just something that happens in the future. It's something that's breaking in to the now. The kingdom of God is wherever God is. And since God dwells in you and me through the Spirit, we can be in the kingdom, dwell with God, work with God, as we live in this world, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. He uses a couple of metaphors to describe this. 
They're all kind of rooted in this distinction of light and dark, drunk and sober, awake and asleep. But the primary point he's making is that as we're dwelling in God's kingdom while living in this world, it's like we're seeing the world differently. If you're not dwelling in God's kingdom, you're, you're just focused on your circumstances and you can't see what's going on. But if you are dwelling in God's kingdom, then you're just like seeing things differently. It's the difference between being awake and asleep. It's kind of what Jesus says, means when he says, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. The kingdom of God is here. But it's easy to miss. It's to be awake to its reality. And this is the foundation for Paul's exhortation for us to give thanks in all circumstances. It's not give thanks for all circumstances. It's give thanks in all circumstances. Because whatever the circumstances are, God's kingdom is still here, and so we can dwell in that. Whatever is happening in your life, God is still with you, and God is still active, and he is doing something in your life. And it is for that, if we can see it, if we're awake to God's presence and God's action, that is what we give thanks for. A couple years ago, a friend of mine told me a story that, that stuck with me. And she talked about how when she was younger, I mean, not that much younger, still an adult, but um, she had this dream to start this business. But she was in a stage of life that didn't allow for that. She had young kids, and her husband was pretty much a workaholic, so she didn't have the time or the energy or the resources to start this business that she was so passionate about. That really was a dream for her to start. So this dream, while present and real to her, wasn't something she could act on. However, she nurtured it and she continued to do what she could do to prepare herself for the time in the future when she would be able to start this, planning it out in her head. And she had this best friend, so she started sharing with her best friend about this dream that she had to start this new business. And this was a way for her to nurture her dream, tell this friend about her dreams and all that she wanted to do. Well, what ended up happening is that her friend, well, he ended up, as he listened to her dreams, he got excited about what her dream was. And he was energized by her dream, and he thought, yes, that does need to happen. So he decided he would start the business. After listening to her, share her dream. He then took that and started the business that she had described to him. And at first, my friend, she felt as if something had been stolen from her. She couldn't start the business for herself. He's now starting this business. What's she going to do? In this set of circumstances, it's hard to imagine, she felt like giving thanks. But that's what she did. She gave thanks that this dream that she had of starting this business, that this thing that she really believed in, that it was being started. She wasn't the one that got to start it. He did. And she went and volunteered there. Let go of any attachment to needing this business to be associated with her name so that she got the glory. She just went and volunteered. 
For those who have eyes to see, who are awake to God's kingdom, this is remarkable. And most people likely missed it as it was unfolding. But truly something glorious was happening inside my friend's soul as she had to wrestle with this betrayal. Wrestle with her commitment to this fundamental good dream that she, that she had, but when it wasn't her that got to start it, had to grow deep in humility so that she could go and volunteer at this business. And as she went through this process, God was at work. God was doing something in her soul, and it was glorious. If you only saw what was happening in the external events, you wouldn't think she had much to be grateful for. Something had been stolen. A dream had been stolen from her. A friendship had been broken. Trust had been broken. She had been betrayed. But if you are awake to God's kingdom, to God's presence, and to God's action, then you would see something truly magnificent happening in her soul. That could only occur because she went through this experience. God's doing something so glorious in her. It could take your breath away. This was years ago, and my friend, eventually, she actually was able to start her own business much later, and now she's thriving in it. In fact, things are going well in large part because she had to go through this process of inner transformation. Now, she's the sort of person that just draws people to her. When Paul tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, he isn't telling us to give thanks for all circumstances. He isn't telling my friend to give thanks for her friend who stole her business. That's not what we're to give thanks for. When Paul tells us to give thanks, he gives us give thanks in all circumstances. And the thing that we're giving thanks for is God's presence and God's action within us. We give thanks for God's presence. Whenever it's happening in your life, God is there, comforting, strengthening, encouraging. And we give thanks for the work that God is doing, shaping our soul in the midst of all sorts of circumstances. So this means that there's still space for lament and tears and grief and loss and all of that when we live through difficult circumstances, but we do that with God, and then we say, thank you, God, for, for being there with me and allowing me to cry out to you or lament to you. It doesn't mean that we always feel happy, but it means that we're always awake, or at least trying to be or working towards being awake to God's presence and to God's action in our life, and then we give thanks for that. In the midst of difficult circumstances, we sit in prayer. And the light of Christ shines on our circumstances. And we notice God with us. And we notice what God is doing in us. Ah, and we say, thank you. Thank you. So then the question that emerges when we hear Paul's exhortation, give thanks in all circumstances, is not, how could I give thanks for this terrible thing? But rather, what is God doing? What is God doing? 
in the midst of these circumstances. This is an invitation to give thanks for God's presence and God's action in all our circumstances. Because no matter what is happening in your life, God is with you and God is doing something. God is doing something in your life. That is what we give thanks for. Not the circumstances themselves, but for God's presence and God's action within. So I wonder, this week of Thanksgiving, what, what can you be thankful for? What is God doing in your soul right now? Are you aware of God's presence? Are you aware of God's action? Is God increasing the depth of your humility? Is He teaching you how to wait? Are you being asked to lay down a part of your false identity, maybe status, your, your need for people to celebrate you and hold you in high esteem, or maybe your privilege or wealth, security even? Maybe God's asking you to lay down a part of that false identity. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're, the, the thing that God's doing, He's teaching you how to love your enemies in a way you previously couldn't imagine was possible. Or, or maybe God's doing some really wonderful things. Maybe God's opening new doors of fruitfulness for you. Maybe God's inviting you to be quiet, or maybe God's inviting you to learn to speak up, to make your voice heard. In the midst of all of our various circumstances, God is near to each of us and God is doing something in all our lives. So when we hear this exhortation, give thanks in all circumstances, we got to remember this is rooted in the presupposition that we are awake to God's presence and God's action within. And if you are, then give thanks for those things. If you're not, if you aren't awake to what God is doing or God's nearness to you, then wonder, what can you do this week to become more aware of God's presence in your life? So in this week of Thanksgiving, you and I, we can practice giving thanks for God's presence and His action within. Let's pray. God, as we pause in the quiet, Open our eyes to your presence. Help us to be awake to your kingdom, your presence, and your action within. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.